Open every ear, every mind, every heart in here this morning, O God. For they are here by divine appointment. You have brought them here for one reason or another. Lord, have your way today, we pray. In the risen Savior's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I want to begin in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. When a great multitude were coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, Jesus spoke by way of a parable. The parable is like this. The sower went out to sow his seed and he sowed. Some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air ate it up. Another seed fell on rocky soil and as soon as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as Jesus said these things, he was calling out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, I'm here to make an announcement. And the announcement is, outside of my voice is fleeing, The announcement is that heaven is for real. Okay, yeah, I know it opened this past Friday. And well before the movie ever debuted, Christians were abuzz with excitement. The movie is based on a book by, well, not by, but the experience of four-year-old Colton Burpo, who died in surgery in an emergency appendectomy. He died and went to heaven and came back to tell about it. Now, I'm sure that Hollywood's version of the story can be used by God for His purposes because God just does that kind of thing. And in disclosure, I have not seen the movie. I don't intend to see it. I'll probably watch it when it comes out on Netflix and I don't have to pay for it out of curiosity more than anything else. But what is a little disconcerting is that God himself actually became a human being. He actually visited this planet, and not for a few moments or for a few hours, but for 33 years. And then God chronicled his visit with us with hundreds of eyewitnesses. And then he personally made sure that it was all recorded for us without error of addition and without error of omission. Indeed, many centuries before God even took on human form, he made sure that we had records of his innumerable tips that he was coming and the reasons why he was coming. But thousands of years, even before Jesus took on flesh as the babe of Nazareth, God revealed to us that there is an afterlife for the faithful. In what is considered to be probably the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, this is what we read in Job chapter 19, verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. 
So God's been telling us for millennia that heaven is for real. And Job was excited about it, so excited that he expressed it by saying, My heart faints within me. So again, I'm not running out to see this movie. But just those of you who do, please remember this. Hollywood's version of it all will unfortunately become the unalterable truth to many people who will see this movie, and that truth will, re- will reign supreme to those people, even over God's truth to mankind as found in His inspired, infallible, and errant, authoritative word to us. Heaven is for real. (laughs) And not because a little boy said so, but because the creator of heaven itself already said so. So what is that heaven like? Hmm, Oh, that gets really interesting. Well, I think that there is probably good reason why in the Scriptures... There is not much detailed or specific information about what heaven is actually like. Oh, God's given us plenty to go on, on what he, and what He has given us bears little resemblance to most of people's conceptions of what heaven is going to be like. It seems to always take on this, this atmosphere of whatever your individual uh, uh, penchant happens to be concerning hobbies or food or the way you look or, what you know, all those sorts of things. If you're a golfer, you know, oh, yeah, heaven, and you hear it at funerals a lot of time. Well, John's up there right now, man. He's teeing off on the 10th tee at Pebble Beach. I love Pebble Beach. I actually got to walk up from the beach in Carmel-by-the-Sea and stand on the 10th green long enough to get a picture and then run back down before I got arrested. <laughs> see, Pebble Beach is kind of the holy grail of golfers, right? But up in heaven, see, there you could be standing. You don't have to wait for a tea time, which at the real Pebble Beach is about a year, a year line to get on, plus a $450 greens fee. Not in heaven, though. If you're a fisherman, oh, you've got your own heaven, right? Paradise with the big fishing hole with all the trophy fish. You don't even need a rod. Just stick your hand in. Here, fish, come here. If you never, we'll try this one again. If you never could sing here on earth, you never could carry a bucket in a tune or a tune in a bucket. Once you get to heaven, you're going to be singing like you've never sang before with perfection in all ways. And what about your physical appearance? Oh, man. <laughs> no worries about complexions. I'm 60 years old, and I think I'm still in puberty, man. I got zits coming up here and there. But not in heaven. Going to be eternally svelte, I suppose. And I know I'm going to be six foot seven. <laughs> and in my heaven, everyone else is going to be five, six and three quarters. That's right. <laughs> oh, we view heaven as this place of our wildest fantasies. Well, the most insidious belief of today's version of heaven, though, is that everyone 
is going to be there. It is the prevalent theology of today, and it is called universalism. But I have to tell you all this morning that of the clearest teachings of the Bible, right up there toward the very top, is that everyone does not go to heaven. And if that gets your hackles up a little bit, or you're sitting there already squirming, listen and hear the word of God on the issue. God has made it clear throughout the pages of the entire Bible. And Jesus made it clear throughout his entire life on earth. This is just a minute smattering on the subject. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says that in the judgment, this is referring to the judgment, then God the Father is going to say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And again, in verse 46, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In John 3, 36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And again in John chapter 3, verse 18, we read, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the issue this morning that I am going to address pointedly, because Jesus addresses it pointedly, is what does it mean to believe in Jesus? And I'm talking about the kind of belief that apprehends eternity in heaven. Is it as simplistic as some try to make it, that just by saying some words strung together in a particular formula, or by raising a hand or walking to the front of a church or standing in place as some kind of a sign that you believe that that's all there is to it? You see, it's a very important question. What is real belief? Heaven obtaining belief? Because all kinds of people today are running around under the impression that they have saving faith. And candidly, the time to find out whether yours is or isn't saving belief, saving faith, is not when you are standing before God at the end, because the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 27, tells us that it is appointed unto men to die once, and after this comes judgment. There's no second chances. There's no, oh, wow, uh, you are real. Hmm, oops, okay. No. Once you take your last breath here on earth, that's it. Your fate for all eternity is sealed. And because this is so important, it's one of the big reasons, maybe even the only reason, why Jesus told the story about the sower of the seeds at the beginning, that I read at the beginning of this. 
So we are told in the very first part of that passage that gives us a little bit of context is that people from various cities gathered, meaning people from all walks of life in all different faith systems were there listening. And so Jesus goes, hmm, boy, this is a good time to make one thing certainly per- perfectly clear. And that is not all faiths are created equal. That is about one of the most offensive things you can say out there in the world today. But I'm not the one who said it. I'm only parroting it. I'm only repeating it. The one who was God in human form declared it long before today. All faiths are not equal. But only faith in the God of the Bible, and it is only His prescribed avenue for heaven that gets anybody there. So Jesus tells this story. Now, a parable, by definition, is a made-up, it is a fictional story. People say, oh, the Bible's meant to be taken figuratively. You know that story, that game. Well, the Bible is meant to be taken literally, where it's clear that it's literal and to be taken figuratively or as some kind of a, 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 an allegory or illusion where the Scriptures make that clear, not where we just impose that upon them. And a parable is, again, by definition, one of those made-up stories that Jesus would use to make one particular point in the story. Which means, don't get all bogged down as some preachers do and some writers do about all the details and the minutiae of the various parables that Jesus told. That's a good way to go out here and out there and everywhere. So Jesus is telling the story of the the parable of the sower of the seeds to make one big point. And that point will be what constitutes real belief, real faith, real saving faith. So there's this sower. And the sower, they would carry a bag on their shoulder and they'd have a big bag of seeds there. And I don't know what kind of seeds it was. It doesn't matter. And he's taking the seeds and he's throwing them along. And Jesus says the first set of seeds that he throws out there kind of lands on the road where they get trampled underfoot. Or they're there and the birds come down and they eat them up. And people say, well, the guy's pretty much of a knucklehead if he's sowing his seeds on the road. That's not any way to plant a garden or a farm. Again, you're missing the point of the parable, which Jesus is going to make clear. So there's the seeds, trampled, eaten by the birds. The point is, nothing happens to the seeds. They don't germinate. They just disappear. They're eaten, or they just flat out die for good. And he says, this same sower was throwing his seeds out, and some of the seeds fell on the rocky soil. Now, those that fell on the rocky soil, it wasn't great for farming at all, or gardening, or or promoting seed growth. But there was some soil there, but it was basically rocks and, you know, granite and all that stuff. But there was enough soil there, apparently, to hold some of the latent moisture in the ground that caused the seed to at least germinate. Boop! With a little green thing going... But then we're told in the text that there wasn't enough there of anything, including moisture, to sustain the life. And that little seedling that at least sprouted went dead. 
And he says, okay, there was a sower, and he was still sowing around there, and he's throwing seeds here, there, and everywhere. And, and some more of the seeds fell onto soil that were just covered with thorns and thistles and weeds. And I have a special appreciation for weeds and gardens. Because we have a garden every year, and you've got to use real loose definition for garden, for our, our garden plot. This is about 90% clay. Talk about bad soil. But somehow, you know what? The weeds do fabulously. How is that? I go down there, and with dandelions in particular, and I go get the roots down there, and I pull out the roots, sometimes this long, and a little dandelion. Oh, hello. <laughs> and in a week, I go back, and he's got all his family and his relatives have come, and now they're going, boop, 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 boop. And in the meantime, the thing that we've got planted there is going, help me. It's, it's not funny. It's a result of the curse. Back at the Garden of Eden, God told us. He says, ah, now sin enters the world, guess what? You're going to have to contend with weeds in your garden. Okay, so the seed falls on the thorny soil. Get back on track, Pastor. And they too, they, they, they germinate and they sprout and they actually start to grow. But, oh, the thorns and the thistles overtake them, which takes away the moisture and the nutrients from them and sometimes just goes around and then nothing comes to naught. Nothing produced. And finally, finally in the course of the sower sowing, some of the seed did actually end up on good soil. And the soil was sturdy enough to provide the seeds with the moisture and all the nutrients and the essentials of life so that it not only germinated, it not only started to grow, but it grew and it flourished and it developed and it actually produced fruit. It produced whatever the crop was that the sower was sowing. And in verse 8 we read, As Jesus said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's part way through the parable. He has laid out the story, but the meaning is coming. And he says to everybody, Are you listening? Because I'm about to explain it. Because in verse 9, we're told that the disciples, no surprise here, didn't know what he meant. It's a familiar theme throughout Jesus' life. Verse 10, Jesus responds and says, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus' answer is, everyone who is willing to listen and truly willing to hear will understand exactly what Jesus means. And so he now begins explaining to them the meaning of the parable. In verse 11 we read, Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Okay, we got it. And it always just kind of annoys me when preachers sit there with some of the other parables and everything, and they sit there going, well, you know, he meant this, and this one says, no, he meant this, and the other one says, no, he meant that, and here's what he was trying to say here, and he was trying to say this. 
the parables will tell you what they mean within the confine of the stories. So here's about as clear as it can be. Jesus is now explaining. The seed is the Word of God. Got it. So the explanation, as I just said, about what the Bible means does not come from Hollywood. <laughs> Look what they did with Noah. <clears throat> it doesn't come from people writing about their experiences here and there and whatever. The explanation comes from the inspired, infallible, and errant, authoritative Word of God. Very important note now in considering this parable. If the seed is the word of God, and of course it is, because Jesus just told us that, then the different soils on which the seeds fall are in some sense four different kinds of people. In other words, four different levels of response, the purpose of which is to show us what real faith is, again, and what real belief looks like. In verse 12, Jesus says, okay, so here's what it means. you got the word of God, which are the seed, and those beside the road are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and he takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. So the seeds on the road is the word of God landing on the one whose heart and I'm just going to take a little liberty here with the whole road kind of picture, is the one whose heart is paved. It's covered over. It's hardened with a shell of hot top or concrete. And so, again, that's why the seed, the word, it just kind of lays there for the birds of the air come, can get it, or be trampled underfoot. And Jesus says, and Satan comes, and he steals it away so that they will not believe. And don't you even be quick here to say, oh, well, then they're victims. It's not their fault. Now, you see, Satan is only able to steal the word because of the paved person's heart in which the seeds are just laying there because they have no use for them. And so Satan comes and goes, yeah, good, you have no use for those, and gets rid of them. The word doesn't even have a chance because it isn't given a chance. There's no desire for the paved heart person to even consider the Word of God. It's been rejected even before it's, been, uh, before it's received. For this one, heaven is not even in question. That one is condemned. That is clear. Jesus continues, okay, then there's the seeds that fell on the rocky soil. They, these are those who, when they hear, receive the, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe, though, for a while and in time of temptation, they fall away. So the rocky soil are people who hear the word of God. They hear the good news of Christ presented. They hear other precepts from God's word presented to them. And there's an initial response of some kind of acceptance. They might consider the truth being planted as the seed and something about what they hear appeals to them. It may be that they are in a particular time of desperation 
and that they were just ready to grab onto anything that gave them any kind of hope at all. But you see, truth, as far as it being God's truth and the importance of it and all that, wasn't really ever the deciding factor for that person. Rather, it was about a good experience. Or it was about a nice feeling or a sigh of relief, which they were glad to have at that moment in their life. But there was no real rooting of the Word of God done because the rock-strewn soil of their soul would not allow it. That person is not going to heaven. So when the intensity now of this person, though, who's got a certain level of belief there, when the intensity of the crisis that ever brought them to that place, and it doesn't have to be a crisis. Sometimes somebody just you know, gets all caught up in the, in the moment or in music, and it's like, wow, that was really cool. That was awesome. I never felt that way before. That's cool. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's now my Lord and Savior. But there was never any heart change. There was never any sorrow for sinning against a God who loves them so much that he came and became one of them in order to do what they never could and to pay the penalty for their sins. There was just good old self-centeredness. And so there wasn't any real saving belief. And when there is no real faith or belief, there is no Holy Spirit empowering that person to persevere. And so, again, when the first little ripple of wind comes by, so to speak, in their life, they easily fall back into their previous sinful patterns and priorities of life. There's the third seed. The third seed is that which fell among the thorns. And these are the ones, Jesus says, who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And again, like the other two, they bring no fruit to maturity. So the thorny soil are the people, again, who have heard, and like the person on the rocky soil, there was some consideration of what they had heard. And they didn't actually even reject it. Not outright, but neither did they embrace it. They didn't even disagree with it. It may have even seemed quite reasonable to them and even appealing to them in some ways. But this new seed of God's word and wisdom in their life didn't become their life. It didn't become their reason for living. It was respected. It was mentioned with others and talked about in mostly pleasant tones. Well, that is until their personal views and their personal beliefs on issues of life came to face to face with the counsel of God's Word. And then it's their ideas versus God's ideas. And they choose their ideas, usually with creative justifications in their minds, why they are right and God is wrong. Or at least the understanding of God is wrong. So it becomes just another add-on of many beneficial or good things or good ways of looking at their life. And so while the seed again had sprouted and it even began to grow, in the end it was choked out by the weeds, the weeds of their own doings, their own mind, their own thoughts on matters of faith and godliness. 
So you see, the person with a soul of weedy soil is unwilling to do weeding. And in the end, the weeds always win. And the plant that sprouted and even began to grow never made it, like the previous, to the telltale bearing of fruit. But the sower did manage to get some seed onto good soil. Verse 15, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word, Jesus says. They've heard the word in an honest and good heart, and they hold it fast, and they bear fruit with perseverance. So the word of God that falls on good soil is the person who hears the word. They consider it. They evaluated it with an honest assessment, meaning with an honest assessment of the implications of God's word for their lives, meaning where something in their life was not right according to the word of God. They pulled that weed from the soil of their soul, and there was no longer any weed there to choke out God's heart and mind on all matters of faith and godliness. So the seed that falls on good soil, we are told, continues to grow up and it grows to the place of doing what the seed will do, what the seed, the Word of God, must do when good soil is at hand. And so what Jesus is telling everyone in this parable is that real belief, saving belief, heaven earning, if you will, or meriting belief doesn't just germinate. It doesn't just sprout. It doesn't just grow. It doesn't just mature, but it brings forth fruit with perseverance. Real belief that saves doesn't just sprout, doesn't just grow, it doesn't just mature, but it brings forth fruit with Perseverance. May have Pastor Matt and the band come up. Well, if fruit is the excellent indicator of what is real faith, what is real belief, then what is fruit? Because God calls every one of us to be fruit inspectors. Fruit is anything and everything in your life and your thoughts which give evidence that Jesus is truly not just Savior, not just a fire insurance policy, but is Lord over your life. And it's not a one-time decision. It's not a daily decision. It is, I'm sorry, it is a daily decision and it's a lifetime commitment that remains even in unpleasant and hard times and periods of people's lives. So Jesus uses this story to try and make it clear to any who are willing to listen and willing to hear as to who is going to heaven and who is not. Those first three soils those first three types of people do not try and make it do not sustain let me try that one again the first three soils do not sustain life to the point of having any value meaning producing 
fruit. And real belief, real faith, real saving faith, always, always, always produces fruit. So you need to ask yourself a question. How is the fruit of your life? Ask it soberly, circumspectly to the one who knows you better than you know you, the King of Heaven. He gives us an action of humbling ourselves, which might sound strange to us, because when we think of a humble person, we think of a disposition. Somebody is born meek and humble. They act that way. But Jesus said, make yourselves humble. The other parts of the scripture tell us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And so we need to humble ourselves. You might have started to think in that video as that man was determined to get out of bed in order to reach that gift in the hallway. And you saw him and the music was building and he's ripping off those blankets and there's something in our spirit that's pulling for him. Dude, get out of bed and get the gift. Go find out what it is. There's a human drive in us. We can do it. We can be there. Go ahead. Just get it. And he fails. And you see him slip back into the bed, defeated, depressed, humbled. It's one of the many stages of life we all have to go through and experience that humbling. As we get older, there's just things we can't do anymore that we used to do so easily. And now it's been taken away from us. You see, this is what Jesus was getting at. In order to find the kingdom, you and I have to reduce everything about us that we think is strong enough, good enough, impressive enough to God, strip it all away, and then come to the conclusion that we're just sunk back into our bed saying, I can't even get out to see what's in the box. I'm stuck. When you and I were born, we were born with this crippling effect. It was a it was something that, that, that basically sits us in this wheelchair like that man had in the video. And we're stuck here because our condition of sin doesn't allow us to, to get out and meet God where he is. We always fall short. We always come short of where he is in his great glory. And so just as we saw that man on that video unable to get to the treasure, which was the risen Savior, the empty tomb, He was unable to release himself from the confines of his own bed. When you and I, see, you and I don't sin, and then that makes us a sinner. Oh, we we were perfect until we made that first mistake. You and I sin because we were born with that condition. We were born in this, locked in this, crippled, hamstrung by our own sin. And the resurrection, the empty tomb had to find you and me, had to come where we were, had to had to lay on our chest. And say, I am offering you the gift of life. Will you receive it? When we receive it and we're loosed from these, uh, these confines and the, the ugliness of death and all those things, those things can't hold us back. When we receive that gift, we are given new life in Jesus Christ. And all of those people, the, the four different types of soil in the parable that we heard about earlier, all of those people had the same starting point. They were all born with the, equal, with the same amount of sin tainting their hearts. And that seed only grew in the heart that was humbled, 
before the Lord. I can't get to the gift on my own. It's going to have to come to me. You see, there's been an epidemic of people just receiving Jesus all across our nation for decades. It's really easy to pray a prayer. It's really easy to check in on a church once in a while. It's really easy to do something and get your your, uh, crazy Bible fanatic uncle off your back or something like that. It's easy to do those things, to go through the motions, to to pray at a youth camp or to, to be at an altar call in a church and then to not let it really take root in your heart and it all falls by the wayside later on. We know because we spend a lot of our ministry time ministering to those that at once had the truth given to them, made a profession of some sort of a faith in Jesus Christ, only to not let it take root. The empty tomb has been dropped on your lap. The promise of, of heaven is there. But the life that is to be lived is to be lived now, not, to, not in just the afterlife. And so you and I, as we have the opportunity to respond, we could, we could make this an emotional plea right now. We could do it to capitalize on the moment and get 10 or 15 people to raise their hand and say, I prayed that prayer today. I know we could do that. But what we're interested about here at Faith is producing Jesus followers. Not just people that are okay with having a little Jesus in their life. Not just opening up their world to him one little sliver at a time. But people that say, wherever he leads, I'll go. It's in that humility that you find salvation. Would you please stand with me? Now, as we pray, there's a lot of people here this morning. And when we dismiss, these aisles are going to get full really quick. But we're patient here and we'll wait because I'm hoping that there's somebody here that wants to talk to us. And find out a little bit more about who the Lord really is and find out about the empty tomb and and find out about what hope there is for them in all of this. And so we want to meet you. So what we're going to do is as we pray, we're going to give those folks an opportunity to slip out of there. They don't mind if you say, excuse me, I need to get out. People will be really excited to get out of their way. If you've got to climb over a chair, we won't tell the custodian. Just jump out. While we're praying, make your way out. Because once we dismiss, it's going to get full but we'll still wait around for you. Would you pray with me? Our great God and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has risen from the grave and conquered all of our sin and has beaten death for us, we come to you, Lord, and we plead with you for the hearts of men and women in this room, Lord, who are arrested by their own sin or are captured by their own sin. Lord, the tomb has been played, the empty tomb has been placed on their lap and the resurrection story is right before them. So, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to accept it this morning. Give them, Lord, the faith to believe in all that you've accomplished. Help, Lord, for hearts to be repentant of sin, to turn away from all of the things that have broken our relationship from you. Help us, Lord, to find forgiveness in you today. We thank you, Lord. For the power of the empty tomb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Resurrection Day.